You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. As always on a Wednesday, it's time for Wayne on Wednesday. Wayne McCurry is a portfolio manager at FNB Wealth and Investment in Johannesburg. And Wayne, I've, I saw a tweet this morning talking about phase two load shedding. I yes. thought that was all over. Is it a reality? No. The reality is sitting here with no electricity at the moment. And it is phase two. And look, you never know how long it's going to last. But the stories are now that it lasts for a week because the one nuclear reactor at Kuburg has gone down. Oh. And they've had some other unplanned outage. And it's going to take them a while to fix. Now, it's interesting load shedding. First of all, uh, 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 Minister Gordon said we'll be okay until September, October. Yes. And how true is that story turning out to be? But secondly, I've chatted to a lot of people, platinum mining people, uh, coal mining people, uh, engineering people, manufacturing people. And all of them consistently say, Schedule one is a walk in the park. They're so used to it. They've changed their business practice. Said if they get schedule one load shedding, you won't even see it in their accounts. They won't even feel the impact of it of their businesses because they've adapted the way they work and how they work to get around schedule one. Schedule two will be a bit of a problem, but they'll still cope. But three or four, they just shut down. Now, you almost wonder, Eskom should almost have us, you know, while we're still squeezed with electricity, Eskom should almost have us on permanent schedule one, because then that gives them a margin so that if something does go wrong somewhere, you don't go from zero to two or zero to four. So you almost build up, you know, you leave all the water in the dams. You mm. you, you build up capacity to cope with an, with something breaking down. You almost feel as though, just have us on schedule one permanently because everyone can cope with that. Two hours every second day or even two hours a day, anyone can cope with that. So you almost feel as though they should be proactive and say, even if we have got capacity, we are going to be on permanent schedule one because then we can fill up all the storage dams. Because another interesting thing, I went to a presentation on Eskom. The storage dams has got massive capacity to generate electricity, you know, as long as the top dam is full. Yes. You can actually generate a lot of electricity and you can cope with a lot of unplanned outages. And also the diesel turbines, the open-ended and the closed-end diesel turbines, I mean, these are massive generating capacity and you almost want to leave them in reserve. So I think Eskom should maybe rethink. Even if they've got capacity, they should just put us all on Schedule 1 permanently until this crisis is is over so that when something breaks down, they've got capacity someone so you don't have to go to two or three or four. You just stay on one. Yeah, but when are you going to do it? I mean, you say that everyone can cope. I mean, you're talking about very sophisticated industrial and mining facilities here, and and they're used to it. But what about somebody that's on a respirator or somebody like me that works from home and suddenly the electricity goes off? Well, they've had to do it before. They've had to do it before because it's happened. As long as it hasn't happened, so somehow they've coped. Mm. And they can cope for one. So I'm talking more about the economic impact of, of, of Schedule 1. But I honestly think Eskom should just rethink that because to go from zero to two or from zero to four, I mean, that causes chaos. Yes. So, you know, as, as anything in life, even if it's bad news, if you know about it and you know when it's going to happen, ah, you yes. can make a plan.
So I'd rather they just given I'd rather they just give us permanent bad news, schedule one, then they can keep the dams full and they don't have to turn on the turbines and they can do all of these things to keep something in reserve. Because at the moment there's zero reserve. So when one thing goes wrong, you go to stage two. And like as we saw earlier in the year, if three things go wrong, you go to stage four. Right. And stage four, I chatted to a Northern Platinum management that came to see us a week or two ago. And they said, stage four, you cannot, even if there's the vaguest threat of stage four, they cannot send 2,000 guys down the shaft in a shift because the electricity might go out and they can't get them back up. So they just close operations. Mm. So it's just the threat of stage four they are closed, let alone stage four actually happening. But this is just a Kuberg thing, right? This is not this is not a wet coal. This yeah, is not shortage of coal, but it's just a Kuberg once off, maybe for five or six issue. days. Yeah, you know the, the boilers are leaking or whatever the case is. Mm. But it could happen anyway. Yeah, now it's not a shortage of coal at least. Now, and the coal it hasn't rained yet, so the coal isn't wet. <laughs> That's one thing. Anyway, but uh, before yeah. we get onto the market, let's just talk about the positives of your phase two load shedding. You haven't got any electricity, so you're having a bry, right? Yeah, I'm having a bra face. Why not? At least the coal, the coal still works. The coal and, and matches still work. And I've, and you know, like every South African, I mean, I haven't bought a generator or anything like that, but I've got some standby emergency lights. So we haven't got electricity from four o'clock till half past eight today. Please, four and a half hours. So what's so a walk in the park? Uh, MediClinic came out with some yes. update this morning. What do you make of MediClinic? Is this this is? I've, I've had this conversation with two people today, Wayne. Is this one of the, mm. the cases where the worst is over? Now they were terribly gung ho when it came to their international expansion, and yes. now they're consolidating, and the share price may be consolidating, and they've recognised their mistakes. So it's time to accumulate. What do you think? Uh, look, I'm still a little bit cautious, and it's not related to MediClinic itself. Mm. So let's just deal with the trading update. Yes. Trading update was more was positive in comparison to the news that we've had. But it doesn't mean it's a good trading update. It's just better than what we've had from them in the recent past. So they've said Switzerland, they're in such trouble there because of change in government regulations that they're now adapting the business to the government's regulations, i.e. more outpatient work, less charges going through the system, cutting costs, and very similar in Abu Dhabi. And also understand they've opened up two new operations, um, one in Abu Dhabi and one in Dubai, I think. But there's two quite big new operations which went, which, which contributed a lot to their growth in turnover and growth in EBITDA. So, yes, it was a more positive update. But why I would be cautious, this is a global trend that we in the middle of, and it hasn't come to an end yet. And that is governments regulating the hell out of healthcare mm. and regulating the profits out of healthcare. So if you take our NHI, when it happens, how it happens, nobody knows it. It's just all completely in the air. But it's part of a global trend of governments regulating and keeping an eagle eye on the on the whole medical industry to try and curtail the costs. So I think this is a structural thing. These companies, I don't think, are ever going to make serious cash again. Really, Wayne? So you'd stay away from these things? <laughs> so I'm very cautious. I wouldn't buy the shares now. I don't think this is mm. a, a, a turnaround. I could be wrong, obviously, but I think that this is a global trend. You cannot fight. It's actually 
very difficult industries. And the drug makers are in the same same boat. And in fact, individual doctors are probably in the same boat as well. You know, if NHI is instituted in the current format, which it won't be, of course. I mean, there, there's, there will be private sector participation in it. It won't all be contracted to the government. But they're going to squeeze how much you can earn as a doctor. They're going to squeeze how much the hospitals can charge and what they can charge for. And when you look at all the medical aid schemes, they're keeping an eagle eye on the whole process. We just had that report by the competition commissioner saying, basically, the industry needs to be completely and utterly reformed. Mm. And this started, what, probably four years ago, five years ago, and it's unrelenting, and it's not the end is not in sight for the hospital groups and the providers of healthcare. So I would be cautious. I think, having looked at some of the eye-watering prices that I've been quoted, I, was, I, was I going, agree with you. I was going to have a heart procedure, and the chap said to me, well, you do this, this, and this, and it'll be 147,000 rand. I thought, yes. wait a second, your margins yeah. are outrageous. This was three or four years ago. I think, yeah. I'm not saying it's a racket, and I'm not saying we've been ripped off, but I certainly think they've been slightly glamorous with their margins. Margins. Look, look, at the end of the day, all consumers, you, me, everyone, all consumers are unhappy with what they're paying for medical cover. Mm. Whether whether via the medical aid or whether directly via going to the, you know, going, going directly. Every single person you speak to is unhappy about it. And governments know this, and it's a very big political thing. So they're going to continue legislating because it, it shows they're working for the people. Mm. And as I say, you know, as you so correctly said, you know, you go somewhere, take my, I, I wear glasses, okay? So I go and get a new pair. I stood on my glasses the other day, <laughs> and I go and get a new pair. Yeah. And the new pair, you know, the, and I didn't, and I'm not a fancy guy. I've got nothing. I don't own a single brand name of anything. No clothes, no... No, no, wait, wait a second. I have to pull you up on that one. How many Jaguar motor cars do you have? Oh, no, I own motor cars, yeah. Well, that's a, that's a brand but name. They're all, but but, but they're, all, they're, all, they're all old ones that need repairing and restoration. I mean, I've just bought myself another car. It was a Jaguar. Yes. But I bought a six-year-old Jaguar. And what's interesting about buying the six-year-old Jaguar, I bought it at 45,000 kilometers, more or less. Yeah. I paid a quarter of the price of a new one. So to me, you've got a hole in your head to go and buy a new car because you're just quite frankly not getting value for money. So I've only, my whole life, I've only bought secondhand motor cars. But to come back, yeah. I go get new glasses and I get an ordinary frame, just just a frame. It's not a and uh, whatever Isi Miyake frame or there's no brand name to it. Yes. But this was three and a half thousand for little, for a little piece of wire, right? essentially, and a bit of plastic. Uh -huh. And then they ask you, do you want the fancy glare coating and the anti-scratch coating and this coating and the anti-glare coating? And all of these coatings add up to about the price of the glasses. I said, no, no, just leave all the coatings off. I've never seen them add any value whatsoever to the system. So somewhere people feel, rightly or wrongly, that they're being overcharged. People are. Oh, there's a, there's a place. When I used to have a job and earn some money, and I lived in Cape Town, and I had an office close to Devata Kant area of the, the mother city, 
I went to a glasses place, an optometrist, very, very fancy place. They quoted me, this was maybe five, six years ago, 17,000 rand for the lenses and the frames and everything. That's and, crazy. And, and the consultation. I, mean, I thought, wait a second. This is outrageous. You can go to clicks, you can get a pair for 150. And it's. Um, yeah, but that's only reading glasses, eh? it's not prescription glasses. No, that's all, all, I, that's that's all I want. My that's all I want. Okay, I, don't, I, I need glasses for long distance. I mean, my total glass bill was 5,500. Mm. which I still think is incredibly expensive for what you're actually getting. And then you go to the dentist. So now I'm going to the dentist next week now, yeah. and that's a new dentist because the other one moved away. So I phone up the dentist reception and I say, look, book me an, an appointment. Book me an hour an appointment because I've got two fillings that have fallen out and it'll take an hour to fix it. So I say, no, no, the first appointment is to go there and get x-rays and get your teeth cleaned. So they don't want my teeth cleaned. I want these filled, these fillings done. Uh, okay, we we can do it in that appointment now. And then another thing is, I mean, I, I was doing some welding, and I got a piece of steel stuck in my eyeball. So I went off to the doctor to get the steel taken out. And the first thing they do is they give you an extensive eye check that takes 35 minutes, where they puff little bits of um, air in your eyeball and check the reaction of your eyeball, and they do all of this. And you just think. And then when you see the doctor, it takes him five minutes to take the piece of steel out. You just wonder, what was the other 40 minutes for? And then, I mean, you were charged for it, eh? You really sound like a couple of grumpy old men, Wayne. I've only got four. Yeah, but, we are, but, we are, but we are grumpy old men, and that's okay. Thank you oh, another much. thing to get, to get for me to get grumpy about, I Here retired we go. last week. Yeah, go on. I retired last week. <clears throat> I'm still working for f and They pulled me back on contract. Yes. But I've worked out why you only retire once. Because if you had to retire twice, it would kill you all the, all the administration of retiring. I had to fill out a thousand forms to retire. But why? You're just, I mean, you're just leaving it empty your desk and off you go. No, no, I'm still staying there, which is even worse. They've got me on a contract for another year, which I'm very happy about because I still want to work, work. But it shows you the way, I suppose, the way logic of big organizations work. I'm retiring, so I'm leaving. So they've got a section that deals with people leaving. Yes. It's called offboarding, by the way. Oh, yeah. Offboarding. But then I'm coming back as a contractor, so they've got another section that deals with onboarding. So I had to deal with these two separate sections, offboarding and onboarding. I'm still the same person doing the same job. I've yeah. just changed the nature of my contract. There are anyway, layers that's, and that's layers an of people in the financial services industry, and that's why the fees are so high, and that's why people have what I call LBKs, look busy kits. I speak to people every single day, and I'm not being disparaging about financial services per se, but when I speak to people, I'm not allowed to say this, I'm not allowed to say that, I have to do this, and afterwards they say, Lindsay, can you edit this out because you said that? And I think to myself, well, there's five people I've spoken to now, mm. each of those individuals have to get paid, and that's why the fees are so high. I'm, I, I, actually, we're maybe onto something there. Maybe we, had a, we, we should have a, a show called uh, GOM, Grumpy Old Men. Yeah. A, po a podcast well, or there's been, there's, been, there's been quite a few films about grumpy old men, so yeah. Yeah, I've got is. lots of things to be grumpy about. Okay, well, we'll explore this later on. We've yeah. only got four minutes left now uh, because of you being grumpy. Let's talk uh, about the markets. Yeah. Invicta, a quick one on Invicta, initial trading statement for the six months ended 30th of September. Used to be a darling. It used to be a darling, yeah. But, I mean, look at the industry they're operating. Because mm. they are, they are, Invicta and Udeka are manufacturing South Africa. Exactly.
Yeah. So they're a proxy Open for industrial design. production and PMI and all those sort of things. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Metropolitan uh, Momentum Metropolitan Holdings. You know about this company. A summarized financial results and notice of a no, general just, meeting. Uh, sorry, that's the distribution. Yeah, that's yeah that was uh, yeah. a couple of yeah. weeks ago. Sorry. Uh, Royal Beffer King. Uh, Platinum's. Platinum and gold. I don't know. Gold's gone, yes. a, gone a little bit uh, tepid recently. But Royal yeah. Beffer King Platinum, there's been some interest in that recently. I've noticed on ShareNet every yeah. day. Yeah. Look, the platinum shares in total have gone from, uh, uh, let's call it, for want of a better word, bankruptcy four years ago to thriving businesses with flush with cash and just life couldn't get any better. Mm. So it tells you two things. Number one, shows you how variable a commodity company can be. It can go from dire straits to riches in a very, very short space of time. So they're all making money now on the back of the palladium and the rhodium price being higher. But unfortunately, with mining companies, that can change next year again. eh? But on platinum in particular, I'm actually very positive, let's say, on a five-year-plus basis. Because the world needs platinum. There's no substitute yet. I mean, that could happen, but there's no substitute yet. Electric vehicles is negative for platinum. Hybrids are not negative. In fact, hybrids are positive for platinum. And I think hybrids, in any sort of energy-efficient future, hybrids will be a major part because electric vehicles have got very clear shortcomings. But maybe, and when you listen to the platinum guys, they all punting this, maybe fuel cells will actually be the answer into the future and not electric vehicles. Well, I've been hearing about that for many, many years. I used to work with a chap when I was um, in the financial services industry and he kept on going on and on and on about fuel cells and the platinum demand, but it's never happened. But uh, is it going to be resuscitated? Is that what you're saying? Yes. The only problem with fuel cells is you've got to find a way to store hydrogen efficiently efficiently and safely. Hmm. You can do that. Fuel cells are a win. But yet, you know, the funny thing is when you talk to the automobile people, they say if you can if you can store hydrogen safely and efficiently, there'll be no need for anything because they'll just have hydrogen combustion engines. They'll just have engines that burn hydrogen, and the only emission you get is water. You know, so that it's, this whole thing's still in flux. But as things stand now, the, the longer-term outlook for platinum actually looks very platinum and you know the old pgms actually looks looks quite positive but in a very shorter term i'm saying two years three years maybe this big price difference between palladium and platinum is there are armies of people looking at how quickly and how and what the technology is to rather use platinum in petrol engines than palladium in petrol engine uh, uh, um exhausts yeah because that price differential is is uh, it's, it's it's massive and these guys it's are it's the biggest it's ever been yeah and there has to be some yeah, substitution what you're saying is there yeah. there is the you potential for substitution yeah you can substitute in the actual exhaust box easily that is that's just that's well-known technology that that's yes. the more efficient the more efficient ones are ones that are bolted onto the engine right. and they're Platinum breaks down at high temperature, whereas palladium doesn't. And that's the only technology. And it can be solved and will be solved. That's the only technology that's really holding back a switch from palladium into platinum for petrol engines. 
Wayne, I wanted to talk about the US markets because I'm starting to get bullish, which means the market is about to fall on its head. But I've got another <laughs> I've, got, I've got another interview, but we'll get grumpy again in the next couple of days. Maybe we'll get to David Shapiro and we'll have we'll have a, a three way conversation. Yeah, Let's do that. Because he's the ultimate he's the ultimate grumpy old man. I think he's back from New York this week sometime. Yeah, I think he's just uh, flown back. But at his age, you know, yeah. it takes him about a week to recover from the from the aeroplane yes, yes, flight. Yeah. David, a week to get off the aeroplane. With assistance. He's one of those people right at the end you still see sitting there because he's got to be helped off. Hello, David, if you're listening. Uh, Wayne McCurry is a portfolio manager at FMV Wealth and Investment, and that was Wayne on Wednesday. That podcast was proudly brought to you in association with sharenet.co.za. Visit strictlybusinesspodcast.com and subscribe to receive exclusive content straight to your inbox.